Hello, Black Healing Matters family. This is Danielle here at the Black Healing Matters podcast, where we offer you ideas to hopefully move you one step closer to your healing. And today I'm really excited because I have a really special treat for you. And today's Thursday, and you know that means it is doing the right things Thursday. And on Doing the Right Things Thursday, we typically interview someone, we we introduce someone who we catch in the act of doing the right things. But today's episode is a little bit different because today, well, actually, I guess it was yesterday, we celebrate or at least commemorate the assassination of the great Martin Luther King Jr. And of course, we could we could not really have this conversation about black healing without Dr. King and all of the things that he did right during his very prematurely ended life. Dr. King was killed, was assassinated, April 4th, 1968, which was, yeah, yesterday, April 4th. And so today, 50 years ago, today, I want to give Dr. King the spotlight and not talk about him so much, but let him, in his own words, speak for for himself. And as we usually do here on Black Healing Matters on the on um, Thursdays, doing the right things Thursdays, we usually talk to our guests about what they're doing and what they're excited about, what they're passionate about, and what they're offering to the world right now. And obviously, Dr. King is no longer with us. However, today we're going to listen to excerpts from some of his final speeches. And when I say final, I mean literally within the weeks before his death. The recordings that you're going to hear were taken from speeches that happened all within, uh, well, mostly within the, the months just leading up to his assassination. Some of them within days of his assassination. And you'll see that they have a a consistent theme and that his tune began to change quite a lot towards the end of his very prematurely ended life. And many believe that this change in message, this change in his, um, his objectives from civil rights onto economic rights was the real cause of his assassination. And I'm not here to debate that. But today, I hope that you can gain some wisdom and insight from his words, as I have. As well, his words are ended with some words from the wise, um, I don't know what you call him, social commentator, 
James Baldwin. And if you have, if you've never heard James Baldwin speak, he he's a, he was a very intellectual uh, man, and he, like I said, was a social commentator, and he he made really deep, astute, um, thought-provoking um, observations of relations between blacks and whites in America and what the future, what he talks about here at the end of this, it's about 10 minutes, almost 11 minutes, is the future, what he sees as the future for the black man in America. And I think this is one of the most thought-provoking um, discussions or interviews that you're going to hear uh, about Martin Luther King. And some of the things you may hear may be surprising. So again, on this Doing the Right Things Thursday, please take a moment, well, more like 11 minutes, <laughs> and really listen to, not just hear, but listen to these words from our from the past, from a great man who did so much and literally sacrificed his life for the betterment of his own people, of his own nation, but also for all people in all nations. And on that note, Black Healing Matters family, I love you. Please send me your comments, your feedback to this episode. I would really love to hear it. You, of course, can send me a call in. Join the Facebook group, Black Healing Matters, as well. You can find us on SoundCloud and YouTube. Or send me an email, blackhealingmatters at gmail.com. As always, stay blessed, stay tuned. Black Healing Matters. We must also realize that the problems of racial injustice and economic injustice cannot be solved without a radical redistribution of political and economic power. We read one day, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But if a man doesn't have a job or an income, he has neither life nor liberty and the possibility for the pursuit of happiness. He merely exists. Estimated that we spend $322,000 for each enemy we kill in Vietnam while we spend in the so-called war on poverty in America only about $53 for each person classified as poor. The promises of the great society have been shut down on the battlefield of Vietnam, making the poor, white and Negro, bear the heaviest burdens both 
at the front and at home. The other thing I want you to understand is this. That it didn't cost the nation one penny to integrate lunch counters. It didn't cost the nation one penny to guarantee the right to vote. But now we are dealing with issues that cannot be solved without the nation spending billions of dollars and undergoing a radical redistribution of economic power. Yes, yes. All labor has dignity. Yes. But you are doing another thing. You are reminding not only Memphis, but you are reminding the nation that it is a crime for people to live in this rich nation and receive starvation wages. America's opportunity to help bridge the gulf between the haves and the have-nots. And the question is whether America will do it. There's nothing new about poverty. What is new is that we now have the techniques and the resources to get rid of poverty. And the real question is whether we have the will at the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land, through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. Not only that, today many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to farm, and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. And this is what we are faced with, and this is a reality. Now, when we come to Washington in this campaign, we are coming to get our check. I come here tonight and plead with you. Believe in yourself and believe that you're somebody. And as I said to a group last night, Nobody else can do this for us. No document can do this for us. No Lincolnian Emancipation Proclamation can do this for us. No Kennesonian or Johnsonian Civil Rights Bill can do this for us. If the Negro is to be free, he must move down into the inner resources of his own soul and sign with a pen and ink of self-assertive manhood his own emancipation proclamation.
let anybody take your manhood. Be proud of our heritage. As somebody said earlier tonight, we don't have anything to be ashamed of. Somebody told a lie one day. They couched it in language. They made everything black, ugly, and evil. Look in your dictionary and see the synonyms of the word black. It's always something degrading and low and sinister. Look at the word white. It's always something pure, high, and clean. But I want to get the language right tonight. I want to get the language so right that everybody here will cry out, Yes, I'm black. I'm proud of it. I'm black and beautiful. What is the relationship between this and the reality of the Negro masses? Well, to be Martin out of it, for a moment. Martin's a very rare, very great man. Martin's rare for two reasons. Part because just, just because he is. And because he's a real Christian, and he really believes in nonviolence. He's arrived at something in himself, which permits him, permits him, allows him to do it. And he still has great moral authority in the South. There's none whatever in the North. Poor Martin has gone through God knows what kind of hell to, wake, to awaken the American conscience. But Martin has reached the end of his rope. There's some things Martin can't do. Martin's only one man. Martin can't solve the nation's central problem by himself. There are lots of people, lots of black people I mean now, who don't go to church no more and don't listen to Martin, you know, and who anyway are themselves produced by civilization which is always glorified violence, unless the Negro had the gun. So that Martin is undercut by the performance of the country. The country is only concerned about nonviolence if it seems that I'm going to get violent. There's not worried about, about, about nonviolence if it's some Alabama sheriff. Jim, what do you see deep in the recesses of your own mind as the future of our nation? And I ask that question in that way because I think that the future of the Negro and the future of the nation are linked. They're insoluble. Yeah. Now, what do you see? Uh, are you essentially optimistic or pessimistic? And I really don't want to put words in your mouth because what I really want to find out is what you really believe. Well, I'm both glad and sorry you asked me that question. I'll do my best to answer it. I can't be a pessimist because I'm alive. To be a pessimist means that you have agreed that human life is an academic matter. So I'm forced to be an optimist. I'm forced to believe that we can survive whatever we must survive. But the Negro in this country, the future of the Negro in this country is precisely as bright or as dark as the future of the country. It is entirely up to the American people 
and our representatives. It is entirely up to the American people whether or not they're going to face and deal with and embrace this stranger whom they maligned so long. What white people have to do is try to find out in their own hearts why it was necessary to have a nigger in the first place. Because I'm not a nigger. I'm a man. But if you think I'm a nigger, it means you need it. The question you've got to ask yourself, the white population of this country has got to ask itself, north and south, because it's one country, and for a Negro, there's no difference in the north and the south. There's just a, you know, a difference in the way they, in a way they castrate you. But, that's, but the fact of the castration is the American fact. If I'm not the nigger here, and the, you invented him, you, the white people, invented him, then you've got to find out why. Well... And the future of the country depends on that, whether or not it's able to ask that question. As a Negro and as an American, I can only hope that America has the strength and the capacity the moral strength. to ask and answer that question in affirmative so and constructive way. To face that question. Thank you very much. Thank and you, Kevin.